for an awesome time we're having already. We had in the morning and yesterday night. Thank you for the revelation of your word flooding our hearts. We ask tonight that you yet again bless us with insight. And together as a church, we behold Jesus Christ, your son, even as he sees us in him. And this service is glorified, even as we are edified alongside the body of Christ. Amen. When is the World Cup? I think it's December, right? November, December. Oh, very good. Yeah. I'm asking about the World Cup. Uh, well, you get to know later. You know, a prophecy about the World Cup failed the last time. And so I want to prophesy again. Thinking as you wait. <laughs> well, I shouldn't prophesy here in case I want to leave here whole. Because my prophecy is going to be a bad one. And, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Party plays for my club. I'm an Arsenal fan. And um, if you check my spirit, you'll see the Arsenal logo there. And he comes back after the shameful defeat of Nigeria. And he comes back to get a red card. Well, you know, that's how it works. <laughs> you don't get what I'm saying, right? You shouldn't. Second Timothy chapter 3. Learning something? Come on, you're learning something. And if you didn't come in the morning, I don't know whether you can answer that. Because, <laughs> you know, I'll try to uh, bring you up to speed. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture, right? It's given by inspiration of God's power to for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. And we said all scripture refers to what? Let's try and do some uh, review. The prophets. What else? The law. What else? The word of God. The scriptures. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. At no point was it called Old Testament. Tomorrow morning out, we'll do a bit of study on what the word Old Testament means. I may, I may use a bit more time than I did today to explain that Old Testament. I know I did it the last time for you. I'm going to do it again. The phrase Old Testament, what it means. But a key thing is... Um, Ensure that you take away traditional definitions from your mind. You know, we said that in the morning, traditional definitions from your mind. So we said that the Old Testament books provide the context, remember? And the background for New Testament teaching. Now, when we say Old and New Testament, we're simply referring to the books. Now, look at Romans 15, again, verse 3, we're there in the morning, and 4. The things written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of scripture might have hope. Now the word learning there is the Greek word didaskalia. It means doctrine. So I highlighted in the morning that the Old Testament is not for prophecies alone. We kind of assume it's just for prophecies. No, there are also instructions for the believer in there. Instructions for the believer in there. Now they ask Jesus... A question, you could go on there quickly, Matthew 22 and 36. A man came to Jesus and asked him, what is that great commandment of the law? What is that great commandment of the law? Uh, you know, and he said, I mean, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Now, I usually prefer to use the max rendering because uh, definitely... Mark is a, uh, I wanted to do something in the morning. Maybe I could do it today, but I'll try to start 
Um, Mark gives us a better background than Matthew. Not necessarily a better background because Matthew copies from Mark. Mark is the foundational synoptic. In other words, Mark uh, is believed to be Peter's account. Okay? John Mark is Peter's disciple. So he writes Peter's account of the synoptic, of the four gospels. And you know, Mark is a guy who was with Paul, let Paul, went to, uh, he went to Barnabas, let Barnabas, went to Peter, let Peter, came back to Paul. So he's used to um, moving. So if you notice again, the gospel he wrote, which is Peter's account, the gospel of Mark, he also did not complete it. <laughs> now if you have Bibles that are very scholarly if you have um, some of this RSV NIV, precisely the NIV you will notice that from verse 9 to 20 they will say it was added, check it verse 9 to 20 now I know that because I should know one, two, I also do defense of what we call the charismatic ministry and I find a lot of people who use that particular omission uh, to criticize the, the things about things about tongues. For example, if you tell people that way, every believer should speak in tongues, and you go to Mark 16, 17, and then someone just gets you in the corner and says, are you aware that that was not original by Mark? And you go, huh? Oh, oh, oh. And then all your tongues goes into, into oblivion. Okay? So, <laughs> and you know, people have that kind of argument that uh, verse 9 through to 20 is not original. Okay, and they're correct, but uh, again, it doesn't change anything because what authenticates it, whether it's correct or not, is is it possible for? Uh, okay, let me give you a bit of that. I'm just doing my best to give you a background. I told you in the morning that it's not like um, God inspires. Oh, yesterday or this morning, and God inspires people and says, "Hey, hello, hey, yeah, Jeremiah, hey, where are you?" You woken up? Yeah, I've woken up. Yes, Lord. Now, start to write. I, Jeremiah. Are you tired? No, Lord. Keep writing. Keep writing. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the 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 tradition of writing is such that, for example, if pastor wants to write a book, just like I do, um, uh, and this happens to many authors. Sometimes they'll take their sermons. Brother Higgins has this tradition a lot. E.W. Kenyon too. The sermons. And then they will have a transcript of it. Then format it into a book. So sometimes you can have like 10 people walk on the book. But because they carry the message of one person, his name will be put there. It doesn't mean that he literally took his hands and wrote it. Come on. Is that clear? Okay. So that's how it works. And, you know, that's how you write books today, right? All right? Do you edit it? Do you edit your work? You don't edit it? Oh, it would be so, such, a, such a disaster if you don't edit it. You edit your work? You cross-check stuff? Okay? Okay, good. So, the same way the Bible was edited. Your face turns blue. What do you think it was? Holy copyright, holy download. No. What usually happens is all those prophets had what you call the sons of prophets who were like their students and disciples. 
so they took notes in all the teaching meetings. Many times after the demise of those men, they will now gather all their writings and put it in a very intelligent format. Then they said the book of Jeremiah. That look okay? That looks more believable, right? That looks more intelligent. Does it? Okay, I'll show you something. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. So you see what I'm saying? How does it sound? Let's see this one. Ezekiel 1.1. Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives of the river of Cheba, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, verse two, which was the fifth year of King Joachim, Joachim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to who? How can you be the one writing? <laughs> Did you see that? Come on now. Stop looking at me like that. Is it the one writing? No. No, is not the one writing. Someone is doing the editing for Imma. Is that okay? So all you have in the chapters are each summons put together as a book. Uh, am I making sense? Uh, is it getting clearer? The same way Deuteronomy you find in the book of Deuteronomy you find that Moses died. So Moses wrote that Moses died. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> that Moses wrote that Moses died. Or Moses wrote that Moses was born. Did God tell him he was born? No, he asked his sister. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it making some sense? You think that Paul wrote all the letters? Sometimes he has a secretary, just like you have a secretary who writes for you. And, you know, you can edit. Edit the word of God. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Is it making some sense? Is it making some sense? Huh? Just like the Psalms of David. Uh, the Psalms of David. That maybe did not write. But it's called the Psalm of David because he said it. The Psalms of David. Uh, let me show you one. Oh, don't let me deviate. Okay, let me show you one. All right. For Psalm 22. Are we, are we here? I'm in Second Psalm 22. Now this is the book of uh, Psalms. Samuel, sorry. Usually called Book of Kingdoms. He came way before the Psalms. And David spoke these words to the Lord, this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. This is in verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Second Samuel 22 verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. 
Now go to Psalm 18. And verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Now, look at the intro. If you have the King James I have, it says, To the chief musician, the psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him. So what happens is, they recorded what he said in the palace. Years after he's gone, they put it in a written form. Is that okay? So when you have all scriptures inspired by God, it's a process, not an event. God inspires a speaker, inspires a writer, and he, including the editors. Huh? Oh, come on. So when he inspires the editors, does he inspire them to get it done in intelligent ways, according to their degrees in school? How about God saying, huh, didn't you have a, a degree uh, in literature? Say, I do. Uh, use it now to write this. You know? Uses their skills. So that means that when you see these things written, okay, they went through human vehicles. Right? So you have Mark. How did I get here? We're talking about Mark. Right? Or you thought that the disciples, as Jesus was acting, and he says, Very, very, I say unto you, start writing it. Very, 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 very. They didn't even know he was going to die. So they weren't writing anything. They wrote years later. Because by the time he rose from the dead, they started preaching the things he said. After a while, it was not ne- it was now necessary to put his words in a in a you know in a documentary or in a document, pardon me, and they had to do that. So try and demystify a downloaded Bible. It's not downloaded. You know? No. I could go on and on and show you all the parts, you know, that this definitely was done by a secondary author. Right? But that secondary author, just like the way uh, we work on our books, we have, I, I preach, okay? We put it together, then we begin the process of editing. And we say, you know, why not? Let's take this out. Let's take that out. And we're inspired. Right? Take this out. We correct the grammar in inspiration so that you don't blow gone. Okay? It's part of the inspiration. Makes it intelligent. Come on. Is it making sense? Okay, good. So Mark, therefore, I said that because of Mark. So if Mark, for example, had to abandon the, 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 the gospel or the synoptic to go and funnily watch a Chelsea game, we can help him conclude it. Thank you. So, <laughs> you know, your pastor is not a faithful football lover. He, he is not faithful at all. And that, that's something that he is gonna, he's never going to get a crown for loyalty because he is not loyal to any club. And Jesus is going to look right into his eyes and say, depart from me. 
You love of alcohol. You know, because that's Chelsea, right? Chelsea's supposed to be Jean, I think. Where were we here now? He, he left Chelsea one morning. He went for the Red Devils. How would you leave Gene for Devils? Is <laughs> that the alcohol? Maybe. You, see? you need some prayer for Pastor. Pastor needs prayers. Anyway, so Mark doesn't conclude it. But can someone else do it for him? Would it be out of place? It's a tradition of all Bible writers. So all we need to do is to correspond what he's in Mark 16, going to all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature, as long as we have a corresponding evidence that's true. So everything in Mark 16, go and preach the gospel to every creature, do we find the evidence in the book of Acts? Huh? Did they cast out demons? Take up serpents as the works of darkness, not to go to the zoo, amen. Thank you. Did they heal the sick? Okay, did they speak with tongues? Oh, good. So, whatever Mark couldn't write, a secondary author concluded it, and it made a lot of sense. Then we go to Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe what things soever I commanded you. Now, notice that in the book of Matthew, Jesus commanded them to heal the sick. Matthew 10, verse 1 to 6. He commanded them to heal the sick, cast out devils, Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. So, which means Matthew 28, 20 can be read in the light of Matthew 10, verse 1 to 6. So, if Mark puts it there, signs will follow them that believe. It agrees with Matthew and definitely Mark. Then Luke 24, 49, you shall receive power. Do not miss. So, it flows together. Okay? So, if we have that, then we read the book of Acts, that means that the secondary impute from verse 9 to 20, have we verified it? Come on. Which, which book now? The book of Acts and other synoptic writers. Come on, let me see your hand if I follow what I'm saying here. Okay, good. How do we get here? What are we talking about? Mark, Matthew. Oh, tw- 36. Okay, we're in Matthew 22. So I said, Mark 12, thank you, he, he listened well. Because I had something else in my head I wanted to talk about, but maybe not today. So, Mark 12, I prefer the way Mark renders it, the way he opens it. Now, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36, where Jesus answered and said, uh, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Then the guy asked for the greatest. Jesus now said there's a second one. The second is like the first one. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on this too hangs the law and the prophets. Now go to Mark 12. Mark 12, verse 29. Mark gives an intro to that. Mark 12, 29. Mark says, first of all, which is the intro of that statement, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Now, if you go to that portion, which is in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 and 5. Now, Matthew takes verse 5 
Mark starts from verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Hear, Israel, so Shema, Israel, Elohinu, Yahweh, Elohinu, something like that, you know. The Lord your God is one Lord. That's the intro to it. Then thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Then it says the second one is like the first. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two hangs the Lord and prophet. Now, if you go into the epistles, the entire epistles are built on those two scriptures. Love to God and love to men. Come on. Come on. Your faith in God, because love, loving God is faith in God. The word love the Lord your God, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, is from the word Ahib. A-H-E-B. Love the Lord your God. It means to esteem and value above others. And it's another word for faith. And the New Testament authors retain that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Eyes has not seen, ears has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man. The things that God has prepared for them that love him. You can also say believe him. Okay? Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope maketh not ashamed, but the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God there is another word for faith in God. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost given to us. Romans 5, 5. Then you also have 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 into 3, where Paul says, if any man loves God, then he himself is known of him. So love God is another word for believe in him. First John 4.20 No man could say he loves God that he has not seen if he doesn't love a man that he can see. So love God there is faith. He that loves God will love him that is begotten of God. That's faith. So Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Is another word for you have faith in God. Let me see if you understand what I just said now. Good. So, if you notice, the epistles are built on those two pillars. Faith in God and love to the saints. Faith in God and love to the saints. Now, don't forget the background of this is that the Old Testament provides what? The context, right? Let me show you something quickly. So you know how sometimes we can throw these things off balance. Look at Matthew 19. Like I said, we're still gisting. We'll start proper teaching maybe tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow evening. But we'll give a background before then. Matthew 19. So we can therefore say the Old Testament books interpret the new. Matthew 19, verse 30. Many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Okay? 
There you have Matthew 20 and 16. The first, the last shall be first, and the first last. Is it here? Many shall be called, but few chosen. So when you hear that, let me try and explain what it means in a religiously connotated, a religiously maybe explained term. Those of you who are born again today, hmm, who knows whether you will be last. Then those who are last will be first. Does it even make any sense? The first will now be last. You know? Then the last will be first. How does that make sense? The only reason why <laughs> that's not clear to us is because we're not reading what they were reading. So go to Isaiah 44. And verse 6. Are we together? Are we together? Thus said the Lord, King of Israel, the Redeemer. Are you there? The Lord of hosts. Some of you open your Bibles like the, the pages are glued together. Let's go. Let's read it together. Let's go. Thus said the Lord, King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and beside me there is no other God. Ah. That's God's name. I'm the first, and I am the last. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe he's just trying to be humble. No, he's not. That's his name. Now, look at verse, uh, I'm trying to get you something. Chapter 41 again, and verse 4. Who has wrought and done, called generations from the beginning, I the Lord the first, and with the last I am he. The first and the last. Then he says, I am he. So go to Revelation. Revelation. Chapter 1 and 11. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Verse 17, fear not, Revelation 1, I am the first and I am the last. So first and the last is an Old Testament explanation. What does it mean first? Now, first and last, you notice know, it's beginning and the ending. Okay? First is used for a seed, Genesis. Last means fulfillment. So when the seed is sown, that's the first. When it becomes a harvest, that is the last. So it's not that those who first got born again will backslide. Then those who have been living in the world will not enter first again. How does that even make sense? <laughs> it's logically silly, 
It doesn't have any kind of understanding. However, the reason why it's like that is because you are not reading what they were reading. So first and last means, for example, when a promise is made or a seed is sown, last is when it is fulfilled. Let me see how follow this. <laughs> so that gives you a background of what he was saying. So the Old Testament always provides the context. Always provides the context for us in our study. So we have said, clearly, we'll get back to that again. So when Jesus said, Hear, o Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Love the Lord your God is faith in God. And why do they use love? Because God, Yahweh, almighty God, was God amongst other gods. So love God means esteem him amongst who? Other gods. And that's faith in him. That's why the word ahib is also used for loyalty, commitment to him. So what's that great commandment of the law? He said, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, might, and soul. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. On this too hangs the law and the prophets. So New Testament doctrine is built on the doctrine of the Old Testament. Now, first, don't forget the Old Testament is just our own words, not that of Jesus. Look at Leviticus 19. You learning something? So let's see that text. What it means to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, people say, well, hey, you know, let me tell you, uh, it's on the wall. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Old Testament. Hallelujah. Glory, glory. Now, we love people as God has loved them. Just sit down somewhere. You don't know what it means. Why does he say they should love the neighbor as themselves? Because he uses that. Let me give you a background. Look up, because we're going to look at this very critically from tomorrow. It gives, number one, God repeats to them that they were slaves in Egypt. And he rescued them in Egypt. He repeats that over and over. We're going to see it. So, love your neighbor as yourself is actually love your neighbor as I have loved you. That's what it means. Look at this one, verse 18. Let's take it together. Are you there? Let's go. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear grudge, any grudge against the children of the people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. No revenge. This sounds like Paul. Huh? No, it's Paul that is sounding like Moses. Because that's his teacher. Romans 12. Verse 17. Recompense to no man 
evil for evil. Is that what we just read? Huh? Come on, is that what we just read? Recompense to no man evil for evil. Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Where did you get that from? Leviticus 19 and verse 18. Avenge not yourself. Look at Galatians 5 and 20. Galatians 5. That's Galatians 5 and 20. Galatians 5 at 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you bite and devour one another, take heed lest you be consumed one another. So he's writing about walking in the spirit from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Again you have Ephesians chapter 4 and 31. Let all bitterness it says wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This is what is right. they're writing from Leviticus. They're writing from the law of Moses. That's where they're writing from because, like we have said, doctrine of the epistles begins from Moses and all the prophets. That's what he does. That's what they do, sorry, or they did. So the background of their teaching are or is the Old Testament books. That's the background. Or call it the context of it. So we said earlier today that what the New Testament writers and just about all the writers what they do is to interpret. So we said earlier, let's go back to a few things we said that the challenge usually is because the writer was not writing to you. Right? Come on. Because he was not writing to you, he didn't have you in mind. And that's not just Moses and the prophets, including Paul. He's not writing to you. He's writing, for example, to Corinth. He's not writing to you. When he writes in Corinth and he talks about how those who are eating, they eat and some are hungry, that's not going on here. You know, when he talks about people covering their hair, it's not, that's not what's going on here. He's not writing to you. In chapter 16, he says to greet the house of Stephanus. He mentions Priscilla and Aquila. Anyone like that here? No. So he's not writing to you. But he's writing for you. But you see, to understand what he has written for you, you need to know what those he wrote to, what they heard. You must cross that barrier first. He's not writing to you. I would say that in the morning, the first principle to know is not writing to you is that it's not using your language. There's no English language, or there was no English language. 
until less than a thousand years old ago. So, so that means he's not writing writers of scripture when writing to you. So like I said in the morning, it becomes very impossible if you're a pastor, teacher, a leader of any house in the house of God, you can't afford to teach without either you have your pastor already do this job for you or you have the Greek and Hebrew concordance. You have to have it. Because that is the language the audience heard. It's not talking to you. But it's talking, eventually what he's saying is for us. Romans 15, 4. For us. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11. For us. But not to us. Because the language doesn't belong to us. So we must cross that barrier. Dire menu. Luke 24, 27, begin at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded. He gives the meaning. For example, when the Old Testament uses the phrase son of God or son is not biological child. When I say son today, it's a male child, right? Come on. But here is God. He calls an entire nation of Israel. Exodus 4, 22 and 23. Israel is my son. That includes children and women. And my firstborn. So that means the phrase son is not a biological term. You remember again that Elisha and Elijah had these people called sons of prophets. If Elisha called Elijah my father, my father. And that is not biological. Sons of prophets are not biological children. It simply means those that walk together with the prophets. So when God says Israel is my son, it means we are walking together. Let me see how following what I'm saying here now. That's what it means. So you need to read the Old Testament, I would say in his own world, to know what is being said. So I'll give you a few tools that we have devised in the light of this to help believers in how to study the old and the new together. I'll give you a hint tonight, then we'll break it up uh, tomorrow. We came up with what I call the codified language. Codified. Codified is spelled C-O-D-I-F-I-E-D. Language. Codified language. What is a codified language? Now, pause before you start writing again. Remember yesterday and this, okay, yesterday precisely, we said that all the New Testament writers were doing, they were basically interpreting the Old Testament. But that's not really all. We said the epistles were used in the absence of the apostles. When they were present they will not use the epistles. Come on. Now let me add one more. You will notice that Paul will tell the church in Ephesus, for example, Acts 20, 33, 31 to 32, where he tells them that he taught them by the space of three years. But, but let's assume that the book of Ephesians written to them, even though that's not true, the book of Ephesians was not written to any church. 
was only adopted later on. But let's assume it was, then you have six chapters. You can't teach those six chapters in three years. What he taught in three years was Genesis 2, including events of the four Gospels. So when he is not available and there's an issue to resolve, he writes a letter. So, now I'm going to throw some bombshell, but you are fine. You, have, you all have bomb-proof vessel, vest now. That means <laughs> the epistles were not sufficient because they addressed specific issues. Romans had a particular issue, was sorting out 1st and 2nd Corinthians. In fact, there are things you will find in Romans, not in 1st Corinthians. There are things in 1st Corinthians, not in 2nd Corinthians. There are things in Ephesians, not in Galatians. There are things in the Galatians, not in Colossians. There are things in Colossians, not in 1st Thessalonians. They are, because they address different issues. You won't find speaking in tongues in, first, in Romans. It's not there. You won't find it there. You won't find the ministry gift in Colossians. How it evolved? Nope. It's in Ephesians. It's in 1 Corinthians. Some bits of Romans. So which means that there are things in one letter, not in another one. Which means that those churches did not rely on those letters to grow. What they fed on was Genesis to what? Malachi. Pay attention to this lest you go off, off tangent. Which means what is common to all the letters of Paul and Peter is the Old Testament. Let me see how to follow what I'm saying here. So you will need the Old Testament not some of the time, all the time. What's what's common to them? Because all those letters refer to it. Come on, are you there? You fine? You doing good? Very well? Very good. You know, we're still trying to do <laughs> pre-boarding <laughs> protocol. <laughs> we're here to take off. So you, you have that at the back of your mind. So what we have said will mean, or will, what we have said, what we have done is, we have called the epistles short notes of the Old Testament. Now let me explain. So you get this. If a big book, let's call that big book Genesis to Malachi, if a big book, right, is being interpreted by or with another book. For example, I have a book written some hundreds of years ago and it's like this. And I want to write about it or I want to teach from it. And you all have the big book. You all have the big book. It's in your hands. I will not quote that big book verbatim. It makes no sense 
Because if I do that, the new book will be too heavy. And it's even needless. Why is it needless? It's needless because you already have the first book. Let me take that again. You have the big book, 39, Genesis to Malachi. I want to interpret it or explain the contents to you. I will not quote it verbatim. So what I'll do is I will use, we can call it shorthand. The reason why I'll use shorthand is because you already have the big book, the main book. So that shorthand can only be elaborated or explained by going back to the book I'm interpreting from. So we call it the codified language is a phrase. Let me put it another uh, illustration I use. Who has ever moved the house before? You moved your house. You know what I mean? Don't, you know, I'm not saying you uprooted your house. That's an American language. You moved house. That is, you moved from one apartment to another. Then you put everything in uh, a truck. No matter how rich you are, you have to use a truck. Okay? So you put everything in a truck. Everything in a truck. Maybe that's in a small house, but maybe in trucks. Then, you say, what are you doing? You say, oh, you're not pointing to the truck. I'm moving my house. Right? The whole house is now compressed into one truck. But that truck has different things. Right? You couldn't have been going, I want to move house. Okay. Then you say, today I will take my spoon. Tomorrow I'll take the plates. You put them together in one uh, what do you call it now? One uh, portable bag or in this instance you put it in one uh, container so it goes together. Now, the New Testament uses such things. It puts a lot of stories, a lot of events, a lot of different things that happen rather than use the whole story. It will use a phrase. That phrase can only be understood, right, and intelligent when you go back to the whole story. You have to go back to the whole story. So, it is not an escape from the main book. It is rather a pointer back to it. Just follow what I'm saying here. So, the codified language is, this is how I define it. A codified language is when a letter book interprets an earlier written book and uses phrases, paragraphs, words, 
short forms, right, to express narratives, stories, events in the earlier book. So rather than repeat the whole story, it compresses it into one. Now listen to this. The reason why they do that is because there's an assumption their audience has the other book. So the moment you are not reading that other book, you can never know what they're talking about. Come on, are you there? You can never know. Now, let me try and know whether this is like Nigeria. Do you have lecturers in school that give you handouts? Oh, so it's all over. <laughs> and then, do you have also, do you have, um, um, what's that thing again? Short uh, key points. Key points. Now, key points are for students who didn't read throughout the term. Something like that, right? So, exams are 24 hours. Please give me the key points. Give me the key points. You just cram the key points. Let me just call 40 and get out of this space, you know. <laughs> but, if you had studied the textbooks very well, the key point is to just remind yourself. So when you get into the exam, all you explain very, very well. Come on now. You there? So, the epistles are key points. That's what they are. Key points. Now look at Paul. Romans 1. Paul says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, separated the gospel of God, gospel of God, which he had four promised in the Holy Scriptures by his prophets, gospel of God. The word gospel, maybe leave that now, concerning his son Jesus Christ, who was made the seed of David according to the flesh. See that word, seed of David? Now long thing. <laughs> it's not Solomon, though. Now long thing. You will have to read plenty stories. To understand what it means. But look at how Paul compressed it into one word. Seed of David. It will take you from David. You will go back, 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 back. You will still read Solomon, no doubt. You go back, 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 back. And start reading Abraham. Look at Matthew 1. Let me show you what that is. You learning something? This, the book of, look at it, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, right? Matthew 1, 1. The son of who? David, the son of Abraham. Now, look up. See that Abraham born Jesus? No, now. Say that David born Jesus. No. Why is he saying that? Because there's a certain personality called the son of Abraham. 
So you go back to Genesis 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. You now see the seed of Abraham. Now, the moment you read Genesis 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 through to 18, 19, you get to Isaac 22, 23, 26. You have to backtrack seed of Abraham. Then you go back and read the seed of the woman. Genesis 3, 15. So that singular phrase is a codified language for at least 50 chapters. You say, hallelujah, I'm a seed of Abraham. Keep quiet. <laughs> why the seed? Why was it given seed? Why, you know, that's the phrase. But you know why they use those phrases? Because their audience had the book. And they were teaching from it. So that statement alone could cost Paul 10 hours to teach. But because he's writing... He compresses it into one word. Are we here? Are we here? Look at John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Where's your Bible? Check, 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 check. Don't do that. Don't do that. Open your Bible. I better go. Before you misquote me. Now, now look at that word, word, in John 1.1. 1, 1. If you have a Greek Bible, it will say logos. Logos. Now, I'll give you an experience. So you know how this is very vital. Now, I didn't even know this was so important when I did this. In 1995, about, I know that Dave Veracross was, an, was, was, oh gosh, I think, I, knew, I, don't remember, I think it was September. <laughs> we, we had this uh, meeting then. So I was, we had, we call it Dunamis meeting. So I taught for two weeks every day, seven to seven. And I, then I, didn't nev- I never thought I was going to be a pastor. So I founded this particular fellowship church and I was going to hand it over because I felt, I'm, can I take it in Nigeria? I won't be a pastor. That kind of thing. No, I was fooling myself. So I was not going to pastor. So I would hand over that day. So I decided to go have a haircut because I've had two weeks, my hair goes very fast. You know, I think myself and um, John the Baptist or something should be working together, but it goes very quickly. So I was going to have a haircut. Two weeks I'd been fasting and teaching, so we're going to have this special service. So I went to have a haircut. And then my haircut, you probably couldn't believe it, right? I used to have a punk haircut. <laughs> Some guys don't believe it. <laughs> you know, when I first, I, I mean, I, I came from a very conservative background, and I'm just gisting you guys. You like it? You sure? You like gist? <laughs> so I, was, I got born again into a very conservative background deeper life Bible church was in my formative years and we really wanted to get to, get to heaven and uh, so we did everything to make sure we're in heaven so we now found out that we didn't have to do much to get to heaven so we decided to abandon heaven totally and stay in the world <laughs> you know human beings like one extreme or the other so we come and felt okay 
So I just saw scripture say, taste not, touch not, handle not. He said, they, they do nothing to satisfy the flesh. Hey, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. We don't need those things. So, because in those days we got born again, you, you dare not wear jeans. Jeans? Jeans is for the devil. In fact, in our praise worship songs, you'll find songs like, keep on wearing your jeans. Keep on palming your hair. Sister Jesus is coming back again. Praise worship song. <laughs> That's what I got born again. So, hi, this is the brother Hagen in, you know, uh, EW Kenyon, about 92, thereabout. And I feel, I feel all right. Here we go. Uh, what's that song again? Uh, by uh, James Brown. Uh, I feel good. <laughs> so, I'm feeling good. So, we, we started quoting Greek and Hebrew words. Rather than say good morning, you can say katos. <laughs> Katos Emeras. <laughs> you know, we became very silly, you know. I'm not joking, though. I'm not joking. No, I'm not. I'm not just, no, wallah, I'm not joking, though. <laughs> we just say, you say, that's a, hello, just say, uh, charios, gracias, you know. <laughs> We're starting Greek and Hebrew then. So, to show knowledge, and I did my hair as Jericho. <laughs> you don't believe that, right? <laughs> Jericho, I was wearing two rings, a bracelet, and a long, long chain, just to show I now have the word. So it was an opportunity to just have argument. So the moment comes to me and says, but why are you wearing that? I say, huh, open your bag. <laughs> so when you talk about my Jericho hair, I'll say, <laughs> Uh, look, at, look at my argument. Why are you wearing Jericho? I said, when a baby is born, what's on his hair? Jericho. That is the true nature. I always won the debate because the guys I was talking to were equally dumb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> We move from one end to another end. So, you go for evangelism, you spend two hours arguing your habits. <laughs> At the end of the day, you win, so you win an argument. The guy says, okay, okay, I've heard. Okay, so he said, you've heard. Uh-huh. Do you want to accept Jesus? I have accepted it already. <laughs> With this argument. <laughs> so, so, but, you know, so that day, now, of course, by, by that 95, I was a bit, I was half saved from that exuberant nature. I was, we're quite exuberant. I mean, extremely exuberant, you know. And I had, I had a cousin, she's late now. She said, you irritate me. I said, why? A simple question, you'll be answering with Bible. Then I say, no man, a man has nothing. That's the answer, except he has received it from heaven. That's the answer to what she's annoyed about. upset <laughs> and I'll say be hungry and not sin <laughs> so 
So this day, but this was a different. <laughs> I'd been born again a bit more. <laughs> so I was having a meeting that evening. So I had my hair cut normally. It's punk. And you know, I think in the 80s, early 90s, we had Tyson. It's punk, you know. But I, 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 not, I stopped using, you know, spotting waves? Oh, you guys, you didn't make heaven. How do you know spotting waves? <laughs> you glorify God, you know. So, but I, was, I, I had less spotting waves in my head. So, this guy, you were a weakness guy. Sorry, wickedness. He, he came to me and he gave me a watchtower. You know, and he brought, and I laughed at him. Because I had mastered, now, I used to read Greek Bibles, including their own. I read their own to be able to make them look silly. So, I knew that he must have been a new recruit. From how he's talking, because I've engaged the leaders of their uh, assemblies before. I'm talking about some 20, 27 years ago. So he said, he now came up with John 1. So I gave him, now then I'll give you my own Bible. You are weakness or wickedness, both of them. I just take my Bible and I'll take theirs. Now, usually the ones that are very uh, naive don't know what I'm doing. Right? So I give them my Bible, you take mine. Now those who are experienced won't, won't, won't yield to that kind of pressure. So we go into John 1.1. 1, 1. So he said, in the beginning was the word. Now if you see the New World Translation, the beginning was the word. The word was with God. It was a God. And there's a way they slanted the, pro, the pronouns that it was deceitful. So, the way I came out of it was very simple. Now, I'm, I wasn't sure. I, I'm, no, sorry. That's not a word. I, it's not like I knew exactly what I'm saying today then, but I knew what I was about to, I'm about to say as well. So, I said, nope. That's the word. So, he now said, the beginning was the word is what God said. I said, no. That that's not what he's talking about. So, I said, in the beginning is Genesis. Oh, is it true? So I now told him that that word in the Hebrew is not Logos. You can't take a, a, an interpretation as the original. Logos is Greek. But Greek was not the original language of the first writers. It's Hebrew. So I said, the word there is Dabar. Dabar. D-A-B-B-A-R. It's not used only for speech. Now, as a new recruit, though, he was, was a bit intelligent, so we were following through. So I said, it's Dabar. Now, the Greek will say logos, which means uh, subject matter and all that, but the Greek is a translation. And usually, the Greek may not be as expressive it may not have the necessary tools to interpret precisely the Old Testament Hebrew. That's why Jesus, even though he used the Greek Bible called the Septuagint, he oftentimes, just some interventions, he will use the literal Hebrew. And so I, I, could, I could calculate it for you that Jesus used about 69, 70% of Greek translation of the Old Testament, but about 25% of the times he used the Hebrew literally. So I said to him, let's go to Genesis. So we went to Genesis. Genesis 15, verse 1. Are you with me? 
Huh? Are you here? We're still gisting, right? Genesis 15, 1. And here it says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. The word of the Lord came to Abraham where? In a vision. That means he's not talking about speech. It's something that Abraham saw. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying to him. So the word dabar, D-A-W-B-A-R, means what is heard and seen and experienced. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. Now look at verse 4 again. The word of the Lord came to him. And he saw. This time the word of the Lord in verse 5 brought him out. So the word of the Lord is an Old Testament expression for God's visible presence. Who's following what I'm saying here? So God was seen in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. Right? And said to him, he saw and he heard. Are you there? Now, if you backtrack a little bit, Genesis 3.8, where it says the voice of the Lord God was walking. Come on. In the garden, the cool of the day. Walking there, alak in the Greek, Hebrew, sorry, H-A-L-A-K, the word voice is qual, Q-O-L, Hebrew. And both words used together will be a visible, tangible manifestation of someone. So when John was saying, in the beginning was the word, he wasn't talking about a speech, he was talking about what? A person. Let me see if I follow what I'm saying here now. Okay, I'm not done. Now in 1 Samuel 3, go ahead quickly, quickly, 1 Samuel 3. You learning something? You learning something? Uh, this was my engagement with that guy. Uh, it must have been a, I think it was a Friday. It was a Friday because I think it was a Friday. It was Friday evening or so. Do not miss meetings here. Yeah, it was Friday, 1995. So, and the guy is looking at me. He's dazed and stunned. <laughs> so, 1 Samuel 3, see it? It says the word of the Lord was what? Verse 1. Are you there? I don't want to go back to my Bible because it's going to take us like, what's what? Precious in those, because there was no open. So, the word of the Lord, is it what is heard or what is seen and heard? Are you here? Aha. Uh-huh. So, word of the Lord is not talking about a speech. It's a revelation of a supernatural being. Obviously, God. So it's, it's verse 2 and 3 says, eh, the, 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 the fire was leaving or the light was leaving the temple, you know, and the eyes of Eli was dim. He's already uh, old, stricken, and all that. So he, he has Samuel. Remember Samuel? Samuel was Anna's son that Anna vowed to give to the Lord, and she grew up before uh, um, Eli. And maybe we should put a, f- a few things to that. She grew up with Eli. He grew up with Eli, pardon me. And he's in, he's there. You know, Samuel had every reason to have left Eli because he, Eli had a bad record. He's not that he was a bad guy, 
but his kids were bad guys. His kids had they slept with the women, you know, were having illicit sex, you know, the simple women they were married to, they were, you know, hitting the tides, messing up the temple. And Eli did nothing about it. You know, and Simon grew up there. He could have, you know, somehow started disrespecting Eli because what, what, what in the world is happening? How is a bad father and stuff like that? Though interestingly and very ironically, Samuel had the same problem. If we're not careful, the things we grew up with will grow with us. And he had the same problem with his own kids. So you go check that. Come on. You learning something? Okay, so he goes, he's in the house. He hears Samuel. He gets up and goes to the pastor's office. He said, Master, did you call me? Now, which means, how many of you have heard God's voice before? How does it sound? God uses man's voice. He oftentimes will use the voice of authority over your life. A voice you recognize. That's why if you, if you listen well to your pastor, oftentimes you see God will use his voice. God will talk in a tone that sounds like your pastor. There's no voice because oh, I have my son, my son. Uh, baritone. No, no, like in the choir. God says, a lawyer, a lawyer must abound to me. <laughs> so he says, he goes to Eli, he says, did you say this guy? said, I didn't call you. Okay, he goes back. He has it again. Say, Lord, did you call me? Said no. So he told me he knew. Say, he sensed the Lord is calling him. Say the next time you hear it, say, "Speak, Lord, your servant hears you." Look at verse nine. I hope that's the verse. Let me see. Okay, chapter three. Oh, open to chapter three for me. You're in two. Huh? Verse 9, right? Yeah. Now look at verse 10. Remember? The word of the Lord was precious. Don't forget. So we're dealing with the word of the Lord. Okay? So what came to Samuel? The word of the Lord. Huh? Come on. What came to Samuel? The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Right? He called out to Samuel in verse 10. Let's so verse 4. Look at verse 7. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet what? Can you see it now? So the word of the Lord is a visible representation of God. So look at 9 and 10. 9? What's in 9? Next time. Just say, speak, Lord. Look at 10. Uh, the Lord what? And what? Stood. Is that a mere voice or a person? Stood. So the word of the Lord, a voice or a person? Huh? A person. Is that the one who also walked in the garden? Who appeared to Abraham? Huh? Look at Jeremiah. You learning something? So in the beginning was the word. Don't say 
God said, let there be light. That's the word. Don't say that kind of nonsense. <laughs> God is not a speech. Right? For Samuel chapter 1, let's just see this. Let me use your Bible because if I go back there, I'm going to waste time. For Samuel 1, now, Jeremiah, that's what I said, is in for Samuel. Who was Jeremiah? Thank you, Pastor. Let me just, Jeremiah 1. Okay. Quickly. Jeremiah 1. No, no. Okay. All right, look at this. Look at 2. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, with the earlier. Then, then verse 4. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, and then look at verse 8. Be not afraid of their faces. I am with thee to deliver you. Look at 9. Let's take 9 together. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Is that, is that a voice or a person? Put forth his hand, touch my mouth. That is the word of the Lord. So is that Jesus? Come on. So I told that small boy, there was an adult, I said, Jesus was not born in the womb of Mary. <laughs> he came into her womb. He's the word of the Lord. Right? He's the word of the Lord. He's God who is visible. He's visible. So visible that Jacob said, I saw him face to face. So visible, he said to Miriam and Aaron, he said, I talk to you in visions and revelations, but to Moses, we talk one on one, face to face, panim panim, which means I appear to him. Panim, face to face means I appear to him. So I told the guy, I said, so he's looking at me. I said, your bosses who did this transaction are cheats. He's looking at me. Yeah. So can I go? So not yet. <laughs> he didn't know how I was a Christian because I had a haircut. That's where I was going to. She so said, are you a pastor? I said, does that matter? You are deceived. And you're going to hell. Yeah? He said, ah. He said, but we, 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 uh, there's no, I think he said, uh, no, he asked me a question about kingdom. So I said, which of it? So he didn't even know the answers. You get it? <laughs> this is 1995. So, so it's important to understand it from which books? You see the point? Can you see the point? Now, when I was saying that, I did not know the import like I do today. That the word of God that John was talking about is the word of the Lord. That visible God. So in John 1 18, quickly look at John 1 18, John 1 18, John 1 18, as I begin to close. Learning something? For no man, let's start again, okay? So it says in John 1 14, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Now, the word of the Lord became flesh. Now, we already know the word of the Lord is visible, right? So flesh refers to man. But man is not the only visible person. 
So was God seen in the Old Testament? But as a man? As a person? Come on, let me see your hand. Come on, are we together here? So the world became a human being dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory has only begun far full of grace and truth. Look at 18. For no man had seen God at any time. Okay. Let's wrap this up so that it makes sense. No man has seen God at any time. Finish it up. The only begotten son, which in the bosom of the father, he had declared him. Let's say, now from John 1, verse 1, that begotten son, is he God? From what John has said, is he God? From John 1. So how would that mean no man has seen God at any time? The only one that has seen God is God. That's not intelligence. No one has seen God. The only one that has seen God is God. Since the only begotten is who? I've told you, son is not biological child. Share you get. That's my Nigerian language, share you get. You get it? Don't forget it. You don't get it. <laughs> so son is not biological child. Son means one you walk with. Come on. So, no one has seen God at any time. If the only begotten is God, it can't be the one who has seen him. So, let's put it properly. Let's construct, remove all the commas. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of who? Who is the word of the Lord? He has declared, huh? That means to see God, you will see this person. This is the one everyone saw. And he himself is who? God. Did Samuel see him? Jeremiah, Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Adam and Eve. So who did they see? Who is a visible God? Jesus. Is he also the only begotten? So he has declared Yes, is the personal expression of God. All right, guys, let's just lift our hands in honor of Jesus tonight. You blessed?